Copycat, let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Welcome to Kill Me Now with Judy Gold. I am your host, Judy Gold. And uh, this week on this amazing podcast that we have, I have part two of my interview with Jay Rodriguez. I got so many great emails well, DMs, uh, not emails, whatever the hell they're called, DMs, uh, about the interview. And thank you. I love, love, love when you write in. I love it. I read them. And it means so much. And it means so much when you come to my shows. I have to tell you that. But um, I did want to say that someone wrote in. I'm trying to look it up as we speak. Uh, someone wrote in and said they... They uh, had a, a memory come to life, a buried memory. I say buried instead of buried. Like, I say buried. I don't know. It's bury. You know, like when you bury someone. But everyone makes fun of how I said it. I say it. So whatever the fuck. But yeah, so someone had a, you know, memory come up that they had, I guess, you know, hid away in their brain. And, um, I love that. I love that. It's, it's, it's amazing it, that, you know, these interviews, you know, you hear other people's stories and they, they resonate with you and it's just, it's amazing. So, um, I'm going to find that person's name and I'm going to tell you the person's name when I find the person's name, but I don't think it's happening right now because I don't know if you hear in my voice that I'm a little nasal. I'm a little sick. I went to Boca on Thursday night, last Thursday, the 18th. Uh, we did a uh, show for Israel and, you know, stand up for Israel or stand up. Yeah, I think it's called stand up. And it was with Rich Voss and Aaron Berg and Alga Namer. And I got to tell you, being on the road with people you know and friends is so incredibly fun and joyous because, you know, headliners don't get to work together. And, you know, it's a lonely, it's a lonely existence. You go on the road and the people who feature for you and open for you are usually local people, unless you bring someone. And, you know, it's not a lot of fun, but this was a great, great show. And, um, we sold out and it was just, it was amazing. And, yeah, I love I love hanging out with comics. It's it never gets it's never a dull moment. So we did that. And then Friday and Saturday, I was in Beverly, Massachusetts at Off Cabot Comedy Club. And if you live near Beverly, Massachusetts, you have to go to this comedy club. It it the staff is phenomenal. They treated me like the queen I am. Jackie, who runs the place, is 
just is just warm and and wise and uh, I you know sensational. She's a sensational person, and everyone who worked there was fantastic. So support your local comedy clubs. That that place is awesome, and they have great shows. And I can't wait to go back. So that happened, and then you know I got no sleep Thursday night because I um. I got on a plane. You know, I can't sleep when I'm on the road. I can't sleep knowing I have to get up at 4.45 in the morning. And then we drove to Boston. Well, Beverly saying, you know, uh, I got I landed at JFK on Friday morning. And then Elisa drove all the way to Beverly in the fucking snow. And it was I'm just tired. I'm tired. And then you stay in a hotel. But I brought my own pillow because I knew I wouldn't sleep without my pillow and oh God, it's just a lot. It's a lot and I'm getting old for this, but I have something exciting to say. This I'm doing something I've never done unless there was a medical issue or a pandemic. I am taking, ready for this? I am taking the next, next four weekends off, the 19th and the 20th, Oh, no, I I worked. The 26th, 27th, February 2nd and 3rd, February 9, 10, February 16, 17, because Ben, Ben's team, Trinity, Connecticut, Trinity College in Connecticut is undefeated. These are the last three weeks of, of the regular season. I'm hoping they make the playoffs. So I took the following weekend off. I don't know how many more weekends I'm taking off, but I do not want to miss you know, Ben is a senior and I don't want to miss his games. And, you know, I'm never going to get this time back. I won't make any money, but it's, you know what? You can't put a price on watching your son play basketball. So I just want to say that I am, I'm just going to follow my son around and I'm very excited. I'm very excited about it. Being a mom is the greatest thing I ever did in my life. I love Henry and Ben so much, and I love Elisa, and I love our family, and we laugh all the time. Okay, so that's that. I have a lot more to say about Orange Fuckface and his fucking, I guarantee you, he made some deal with DeSantis where he was like, look, I'll take care of you. Like, he's the fucking, I, you know, I hate them all so fucking much, and I can't believe that we're going to have to listen to his fucking voice. And remember when he wasn't on TV all the time and, you know, and it's now it's a more of him. I like, I can't, so I'm not, I can't watch the news. All he wants is, is the, is everyone talking about him and him being on TV all the fucking time and saying shit, being a fucking asshole. And if you look at that uh, deposition with Robbie Kaplan, the greatest lawyer in the history of the world, if you see the deposition where he's, you know, answering questions, he looks like a fucking two-year-old dumb fuck child. He's a fucking oppositional child, baby. He does not. He, I, I, I I'm, I'm speechless. I am just speechless that anyone would vote for him and have him represent this country when he fucking behaves like that. He's a fucking asshole. Okay, so that was that. I just want to get that out. But, uh, okay, so I'm going to go now and relax and try to get rid of this cold. And I am hoping 
that you enjoy part one. Oh, and thank you for all of the rebranding um, messages you sent about what you want the podcast to be called. We're definitely rebranding. And uh, we have some very great ideas. So I'll be sharing them soon. Uh, But I love you. I love you guys. And I love when people tell me to listen and I love when you write into me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, And now I, I really hope you enjoy as much as I did uh, my interview. This is part two of my interview with Jay Rodriguez. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. So you do, you end up actually um, learning every part and becoming an understudy right before the film is made. Because Wilson Heredia came back. Yes, yeah. for, to be in the film. But you also credit that with teaching you mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, the theater. You also, where's your cabaret? You created Twisted Cabaret, which, um, and you did a show about your life, which is so fascinating because here you are, you finally get on stage uh, and the, the your whole life is watching people become different characters and not be true to themselves. And and then you get on stage, you play Angel, you learn all these parts, um, and then you write a show about the truth. Yeah, and I called it Exposed. Well, what did that do for you emotionally? I, I know that um, just a personal fact, I did a show, I've done three um off-Broadway shows, solo shows. And one of them, the middle one was about, you know, me really being addicted to sitcoms growing up, wanting to get in the television and live with those families. And then thinking I'm going to grow up, I'm going to be on a sitcom, but I was gay and I couldn't, I was pitching this sitcom about a gay family and no, no, there was always an excuse. And I mean, I, after the first run of that show, I went into a clinical depression and I just think it was because I purged everything. That was my first and only, thank God, clinical depression. But I was so curious as to someone who is hiding this, I mean, has this fucking secret and finally, and, and, and you own it because it's your way of expressing yourself. Yeah. What did that do for you emotionally? So when I had done rent, I left for six months to do an off-Broadway musical called Xana Don't. And you know that off-Broadway pay is not cute, especially in the early 2000s. Um, uh, And uh, it ended up being where I needed to supplement my income. And so I was doing that with things like Twisted Cabaret, which was basically a live cover band. Imagine this, at a gay club where they'd only previously had singing drag queens and female divas from Broadway, because they said, men will not get an audience. And I said, I'll prove you wrong. So I was gay Justin Timberlake, basically, doing two sets of six songs with different Broadway stars coming to surprise guests every week. Right. And, you know, cutoffs with sparkly jeans. I was giving you costume changes. Everything had to be elevated, because I felt like I'd, I said, just give me one night. It took off. So then I was doing that, and then I don't. I get Queer Eye. Everybody and their mother in Broadway had done a cabaret show at Joe's Pub, at all these different places. And I knew I wanted to do one. So I I wanted to do it as a benefit. So I talked to the Actors Fund and they were like, 
we would love to produce this for you with you. And the more we talked, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to where it wasn't going to be a one-man show. It was going to be Moulin Rouge style, the story of my life with top 40 and Broadway songs and new stories that we're going to chronicle from my upbringing to present day. I'm 25. I don't know how I thought I had so much life experience to share, but it was amazing. Rosie Perez played my mom. Wow. We did my coming out scene. We did my coming out scene almost verbatim. My aunts and uncles came and at the after party, they're like, you nailed our sister. Like you nailed it. Were they, were they evangelicals? Your aunt and uncle? No. Oh, so you had some some relatives. Yeah. And they said to, to, to Rosie and rehearsal said, and, uh, and this is so fascinating. I'll never forget this. She said, can I ask, and I don't want to sound rude. What is your mother's maturity level? And that was such a smart question because there was a point in my early teens where I trumped my mother's maturity. She had not had enough lived experience to allow her to see the world any bigger than the way she saw it. And because of the, I was getting more exposure to the world, I could. And there was a moment where I was constantly having to apologize for my mother or, you know, go follow behind her with a broom metaphorically to clean up her messes because of her own um, you know, ignorance to some things would get us in trouble. And, it, you know, to her credit, she did the best that she could with what she knew. But there was a moment where she stopped learning and growing because all she had was the church. Yeah, her and world was so small. Rosie, yeah. And Rosie, you know, asking that forever reframed how I viewed, wow. you know, that time. Um, and it was really cathartic. I mean, I agree with you. It was the height of Queer Eye. And I felt like when every guy had their parents coming to events, it was so shaming for me to be honest. I didn't tell any of the queer eye boys about the logistics of my upbringing. It was too embarrassing because all their parents were like, we're so proud of him. So what I did instead was I knew my mother liked a little sparkle. She liked a little Hollywood moment. She liked feeling like a level of importance by proxy. So I would send a car, I'd give her hair and makeup and she would play her role and I would play mine at different events and no one was the wiser. And I think out of that, we started to develop the um, an exterior of a relationship that was a decent facade to get us through that time. But exposed was the real truthful underbelly of my my life. And, and, and it was my way of sharing with not just the cast, but the audience in the world that, yes, on this show, I'm edited to be a queer superhero, but I, as a human, am incredibly flawed and still growing and learning. I'm only 25, but this is this is where I come from. I didn't go to the Emily, you know, to the Puerto Rican Emily Post School of right. you know culture. Like I, an etiquette. I this is my lived experience, and this is this is important to share. And it felt like not just coming clean, but you feel like it's opening the closet, and it's if the ability to tell your own story before someone else does. Right, you own it. You own it, and you did it your way. And I bet every night before you got on that stage, you were just like thank. Thank God I have to tell this. I ha- I can, that I am allowed to tell this story. Hey, everyone. You know, one of my favorite things in life, if not my most favorite thing in life, which, yeah, it's arguably my most favorite thing in life besides my kids, and is food and eating. Eating is my favorite activity. And eating is better and easier with Factor. Factor, 
I'm telling you, I tried their stuff. It is delicious. It is great. It is high quality. And they are, when I say ready to eat meals, they're ready to eat in two minutes. They're not frozen. They're never frozen. They're chef crafted, dietitian approved, and literally you heat them for two minutes. Every week you have over 35 options to choose from. They have Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, Keto. I just did Chef's Choice. 60 or more add ons that you can stay fueled up. They had these juice shots that were incredible. These are restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat when you are ready to eat. That's it. And they're really good. Elisa loved them too. There's no prep, there's no mess. I've tried a lot of these different kinds of meals. Factor is amazing and so convenient. It's so great to get home from a long day of like schlepping around and knowing you have this delicious meal waiting for you in the refrigerator that takes two minutes to heat up. And you can pause, you can reschedule your deliveries at any time. It is a great solution for those nights and days that you're looking for fast, great, delicious options with no cooking required. Okay? And factor is less expensive than takeout. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, you have to believe me. I never lie. Factor is amazing. You're going to head to factormeals, F-A-C-T-O-R-M-E-A-L-S dot com slash Judy Gold 50, J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, five zero. Okay? Judy Gold 50. And use code J-U-D-Y-G-O-L-D 50, Judy Gold 50, to get... 50% off. That's code JudyGold50 at factormeals.com slash JudyGold50 and get 50% off. It's worth it. You're welcome. You got Queer Eye. Mm-hmm. Like, was that the most exciting? Like, how did you find out? So- and Girl, you're going to be shocked. This is not, I did not, we did not think it was going to be anything big. I was doing off-Broadway. I was doing Xana. I was making 400 a week, living in my friend's guest room where I opened the door and hit the bed. That's how small my room was. And so I do this little show on Bravo that no one was watching. Would they have inside the actor's studio? That was it. Yeah. I did not think anything until like a month before it aired. We had this big promo shoot and they sent a car service, like a nice wow. one. And then- we had trailers. We didn't have trailers to shoot the show. We yeah. had like an 80s RV where everything was um, for all five of us. And so when they shot it on film, movie film, not like our TV show, which was tape, we were like, and then we saw like the trailers and we're like, oh, is this? And then they started playing the trailer on NBC. Didn't hit us. The rap party for Queer Eye season one, the show's not aired. We were literally telling each other, it was so nice to meet you. Right. And I hope to see you again. Oh, like, yeah. no idea there's going to be a season two. And then all of a sudden, we get the show airs for two weeks. We get called into the office on a Monday. I think we're done shooting. So we think it's like a, hey, the final chats about whatever. Maybe do some pickup shots. And the producer sat us down, popped open champagne. They said, you have tripled the ratings in Bravo history. Oprah wants you. The Tonight Show wants you. Ellen wants you. You're shooting the cover of Entertainment Weekly in two days. Like, all that when you're 24 years old is a lot to process. Um, and 
And it was really overwhelming. And then, by the way, I was on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. And right after Will and Grace, they put our episode in 30-minute form. And I was still opening the door and hitting that bed in that small bedroom. So famous and then also the reality of like financially humble and like not really making a lot of money um, was an interesting to hold space for both at the same time. You also mentioned in a an interview I read that you were treated differently than the other queer eye men because you were a person of color. There was a, a specifically a Vanity Fair spread where they were yeah. featured twice. You were featured once. Judy, I you just you saying that I literally have a pit in my stomach as if it just happened. So I, what happened yeah. was I got I got on set and there's three setups. We all knew this. We did not know how many we'd be included in each, or I didn't. And where the photo shoot was, it was in a big compound. So hair and makeup and wardrobe were pretty far from the set uh, or sets. And it was like, Will and Grace, Elle were queer as folk. Like you're seeing all them. You're like, oh my God, like Karen and Jack. Like it's amazing. And um, so I'm excited to be there. And then I started realizing they kept pulling the guys in for different shots. And I was like, what the hell? So I get on set. I'm the last shot of the day. And the network had given them pictures of us. And they just picked a horrible picture of me. And he put me right on the seam, like, to see the picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every other guy got two pictures. I got one. And when I saw him, to his credit, the photographer was like, oh, you're actually quite handsome in person. I would have positioned you differently. But didn't, you know, ultimately. And... You know, that. so so that's a good example, but like it was more like about the business side of it because at that time people were very comfortable telling you, like for instance, the agency that wanted to sign all five guys represented the brand Queer Eye, and the producers of Queer Eye thought, well, we'll just have it all, everybody in house. I already was with Abrams and felt this was going to be a bad idea because I never fully trust producers because I feel like they have their best no, interests at heart. Really, I didn't know that. Right. Wow. But the boys don't know this because you know what a producer will do. He'll say, we're a family. And as much as I love and respect our producers, you can't really be a family with your employer. Absolutely. It just doesn't really work that way in entertainment. So they had us there. They give a big, you know, the big spread, the views of LA, uh, you know, we're visiting LA. It's fancy. And they then they said, we have an agent for each of you to talk to. So from a group pitch to individual talks. And my agent said, well, what do you see yourself doing? And I said, well, I'm an actor. I, you know, I've, I'm not just on gay stuff. I, I did a, a straight play at Lincoln Center and I played an inner city student. And Ben Brantley said that my scenes were the best in the bot. I just want you to know, because I'm sure you're only going on Queer Eye. And I don't want to just uh, do this one thing that I've done because out of all the guys on the show, this is not what I do for a living. And he looked at me blankly and he said, I... I mean, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be the next Antonio Banderas. I wrote that like, down. I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to be the next Antonio Banderas. I remember that because I because for him in that moment, that was all I should ever aspire to. And even that was forever going to be out of reach. And also, and that's the only legitimate one for him. Just the one. Just one. the one. And so I'm sitting across from him and I'm like, part of me at the time, and I think you can tell whether you're a woman, whether you're a queer person, whatever, I think everyone has had the moment in that era where you know better, but you also know that society at the time is on the side of the person who's saying this horrible thing. 
So the world is also going to be like, that tracks, and you should just be thrilled to be here. Why are you sounding ungrateful? So you don't say anything. And so I was like, well, maybe like commercials or endorsements. Some of the guys already got like million-dollar endorsement deals, and he was like, I mean, look, let's just call a spade a spade. He's like, you're Latin, you know, you're kind of feminine, like, I mean, we could try Taco Bell or something, but I don't know oh if you're so family. Oh my God. You're not marketable, he said in the, yes. you said, you, he said in the interview. Yes. Do you know this, is this guy still working? I have no idea, but I, but yeah, I remember. They all fucking fail down, they fail up and then they go the best away. Part yeah. was the main agent who, who oversaw the whole meeting and everything when I didn't sign was like, hey, buddy, what happened? Why are you signing with us? And I said, I told what happened. He goes, oh, man, dude, he shouldn't have said that. He's a junior agent. We, we put you with a junior agent. And what? I was like, I was That's like, here's, your the, fucking, yeah. here's the issue. I have half a decade of professional work in every medium. And out of all the guys, you wouldn't even put me with an agent agent. You put me with a junior agent because that's how you valued me. So for that reason alone, I'm not signing with y'all. And this is not for any of the other, but at that time, the language around you are the diversity hire was not coded. It was pretty much like, why right. aren't you grateful for what you do have? And I right. was, it's just now it's an important part of queer history because you could talk about the ascension and the come up of the show and its impact, but it did not impact all of us the same personally at all. And, and you know what, that, that is not allowed anymore. That's not allowed mm -hmm. anymore. And that was, I mean, you, I got the same shit. You're too Jewish, straighten your hair, dye it blonde. Don't talk about being Jewish. Don't talk about being gay. And I'm like, what the fuck? And now, and now it's like, uh, now it's like be be the most the stuff that they said right. was, a bad, was bad twenty years ago. Which when I see baby, what I call baby J Rodriguez's leading shows, number one on the call sheet, I'm um, like, yes, amazing. Like we've come you a long way. I'll play your dad in something, you know. Um, it's funny because I also feel like, God, if you had only known, I came out on stage in '96. You know, if you only knew, and now they're get, you know, people get on stage. I'm trans. I'm gay. I'm non-binary. Yep. I'm whatever, and no one gives a shit. And to and it warms my heart. I mean, it really makes me. But I also have. The, I don't know if you have this need, but I, I do have a need that, for people to understand their history and where yeah. how we got to this point because I think there's a lot, um, a lot of entitlement in the gay community at this point. And it wasn't that long ago that all my friends were dying of this unknown disease. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we see, I see it with the anti-Semitism, like, mm -hmm. like a, a large percentage of kids, 18 to 24, don't think the Holocaust ever happened. Like Wild. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Part of me feels like I like their entitlement when it comes to what they demand for queerness politically. Yes because they don't know any better. So I'm like, yeah, be as entitled. You're right. You do deserve that fight for that. But yeah. because you and I did not have Instagram, social media to document all this, the reason why I talk about it so much now is because people take for granted what's being handed to them based on the many times I've been fired by the same employer that's now hiring them for the things they fired me for. Right. And it's important to just know your history and I don't need a pat on the back 
or like you pave the way, any of that language. What I'm saying is we, this is an important part of like how we grew and came to be. These rights weren't just given to us. Right. And they're trying to take them away now. So cut right. the shit, you know, be yep. aware, be aware. Um, yeah. I heard you say that, you know, you were a little jealous of the young ones now because they have social media that you, that you felt like had you had that, you could have sort of controlled the narrative, but it's so, and, and for a comic and I totally get that. And you would have been such a, a major representer of, of, um, you know, queer people of color and, as a comic, I resent it because we all had to be great comedians with great acts. We, and the only way to do that was to get on stage and work on your act and travel around the country. There was no cell phones. There was nothing like it was hell, but you had to do it because that's, you couldn't even live without doing stand up. And now, you know, I resent social media in a way because these people do a viral video and then they get booked at a club and don't even know what they're doing for an hour. They don't have an hour, you know? I don't know if you've ever had this where you get hired to be a co-host to one of those because yes. they trust that they'll be able to carry the show, but they know Judy Gold will. And so then there I am with some, you know, new entertainer who I'm happy for their success, but they're ill-equipped for really doing the work. I mean, I think the best representation of that for young gays is when they started putting TikTok drag queens on Drag Race. Yes. And then you saw the drag queens that had been performing at bars, busting their fucking asses off for two decades. And you have a TikTok girl who can make herself pretty, but does not yet have stage presence or- Or the, the character. I mean, people that, do not so, understand that, that those yeah. drag, those characters are, they are well thought out people who age. Yeah. But the reason why I get jealous of socials is the money that yeah. some of these people, like <laughs> I have friends who are performers in the queer eye space, meaning the makeover genre kind yeah. of stuff. And they're like, Jay, I literally like one post is like 60 grand. Like that's my, the down what? payment on my friend who, oh my you know, God, has no. a big career in that space was like, I make more for one post than I do for like a couple episodes of the TV show I'm actually on. Okay. I have Animal. to go kill myself right now. I have right. to go. I mean, I'm like happy for him, but also at the same time, I'm like, I'm not. If we had that, <laughs> things would, but you know what I feel like? I don't know if I, I feel like I'm scrappy and maybe it's from being a New Yorker, but like I always end up, you know, with food on the table and my ability to pay my rent. It isn't always I like know. in the timeline I want it or in the way I want it, but um, I feel like I'm I'm grateful that I had a time where everything wasn't handed to me because I think it it doesn't serve. Of you course, it gives you a work ethic. I mean, yeah. this idea of I'm an influencer—it's so fucking like that's your job that people look at you, but that's so fleeting. You will get, you, you know, we'll see where these people are in 20 years, you know, because yeah. you didn't do the work. You didn't do the work. Yeah, I, I a, just, it's yeah. a tricky thing because it's like, I feel like if you have a good skill and you want to share it with the world or you're a character, uh, you're an SNL tile caricature actor right. and you want to put your characters online. Great. But like when I think about the, you know, cause you, you kind of have to, 
now, if you want a career that's thriving, it's like, yeah, you may have to be um, popular online, but you're going to need to eventually figure out how to get that to translate oh, to stage. Yeah. I have seen the people who've been booked once because once. of their millions yeah. of followers. Plenty but they of can't them. Because the audience was pissed. Yeah, that's the thing. The audience will leave going, I'm not going to see a co- another comedy show. You know, yeah. th- it's it's bad for all of us, but I think I think it's cyclical. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I hate this question, but I, I think that you, you know, your, your voice is important. Your story is really important. I mean, you've done so much. And also how has your mother, uh, dealt with all this huge amount of success and has she grown at all? Yeah. I think it's about, uh, I have to allow her to grow and not judge her for what she did in the past. And that is a lesson that I'm sitting with and daily learning and reminding myself that I can't, you know, my thing is I'm, um, flight or fright. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm out, you know, like I'm, I, I will ditch too soon and not sit in the work of like reparative work with people. And I, in the past five years, I've really tried to do better with that, including with my mom, which I've started to build a relationship with this year. Um, so she has a sense of pride of that, but you know, even in the reunion, which was loosely structured, but really presented as a full spectacular stage show, which I couldn't believe that it was, it went so well. I did, I did, which is embarrassing, but I did share pieces of what we're talking about in a way that was entertaining, but important because we didn't all have the same experience. We are not a monolith as queer people. Um, and the five of us could not represent, I mean, I was one of the few visible queer people of color on entertainment and I certainly do not represent all queer people of color. Yes. And I, you know, it's like, it's really tricky, but I think about the, the, the jobs I was offered and how, I don't know if this happened for you, but like, it's just like, um, you know, some of the things I had to do, some of the jobs some of the things my characters had to say, I was so fucking pissed because I was like, this is so not helpful. And you either had the choice of not doing it and a straight person doing it, or you doing it and like trying to just like change stuff after, um, and so that's what I did the latter, but I watched Rita Moreno has a great documentary. I encourage everyone to watch it, but she talks about her early days in Hollywood where she was literally playing every ethnicity with the exact same accent. Cause she was the token one who that right. she was like, and it was so racist, all the other things she was like, but it was literally the only work available to me. And now I think we see the importance of like, even, you know, I feel this strongly about, about Jewish actors because I was watching someone, some comic, I remember if it was Sarah Silverman or someone talking about how when it's a Jewish leading character, female, they never hire a Jewish female. Right. And I was like, like Mrs. Maisel hey. is not Jewish. I didn't, I never even connected that. I was like, 
That is true. Like that got me thinking only because as a gay person, there's some straights, like, you know, there's a couple of straights who I feel like I give a pass to, um, like the guy from Devil Wears Prada. Um, what's his name? Um, not Stanley Tucci, but is it Stanley Tucci? No. Anyway, he always plays a gay yeah. Devil Wears Prada yeah. and he did the movie with Cher Burlesque. And yes, yes. It's Stanley Tucci. Yeah. I feel like he can come to the picnic. He can come to the barbecue. Um, I think but, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman can come to the picnic. Yeah, there's the reason why is having done this for twenty some odd years. There was a time where a straight actor who didn't play the role as well would get hired before me because it was seen as more courageous and better. Right, acting, right. Yeah, but it did not work in reverse. So I couldn't get seen for straight roles. Now I go in for mostly straight roles and end up booking a lot of them. But it's just literally because the work is good. But at the time, the idea was, the principle was, gay people cannot play straight and we shouldn't give them gay roles because that's not acting. And you're like, what? what, what But also, and they would all, all say, you're so brave. You're so brave. Shut the fuck up. Do you ever get coded language where people want you to be more of something? So for gay, it's like, you know what? I think you could have way more fun with it. Yes, 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 yes. What they're saying is, could you please be a little bit more faggoty? Like they're trying to get me. I get it. Like, yeah, you're like a big bull dyke. You're a dyke. You're like, really? You're a gym teacher. Do it. Um, yeah. I, I tell you, because of that, I auditioned for Modern Family for Cam before anything was, you know, obviously didn't know right. anything about anything. And I was so inner homophobia about a drag queen for five years, the queer guy from Queer Eye, that right. I went in and played Cam so motherfucking butch. And I went in there. Hor- Let me tell you something. The, this is it. hilarious because... I go in there. The casting director is thrilled. He's introducing me like I'm his fucking son, and he's like, "This is this is Jay, and he's gonna just come up queer eye and blah blah." And I'm like, "Hi, hi, nice to meet you." They're in the back. They have their dossier of, I guess, all the actors, and then I start talking, doing the scene, and the, both the writer and the creator are like, "Just stop looking at me." And I was like, "Okay, well." And then I saw the <laughs> show, and I was like, "If I was smart, I would have played Cam, right?" Like. Male version of Sofia Vergada. So that, oh, yeah, 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 like yeah, 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 yeah. Like a glove, which I ultimately ended up doing on another show. But they call me in a couple of times. I auditioned for like Modern Family like five times and never got yeah. a role on it. So casting was always very nice. To I me, never but was- got on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Okay. I that live in New York. Crime. That's crime. I, I'm, a, I'm a fucking female comic Jew. Yeah. I never, I, I auditioned a few times, nothing. So fucking annoying. Ugh. Um, it's so yeah, annoying. I get it. You're just fascinating. I love you. Um, I was a fan for years, and I was so humbled. Um, I was like, "Wait, me? They want she wants to talk to me?" Oh my <laughs> god, yes. Yeah, my boyfriend's hand growing right now too because I'm because I'm. Talking I love that him. he's going to be a, ph- a physician's assistant. That is such yeah. a fucking great job. Plus, yeah. they you know what they can um, prescribe medication. I know. <laughs> and you know you can always be like, honey, what's this? Wow, my my stomach hurts yeah. here. Like, what? That is the. Fu- I am always calling my my friends. I'm like, listen, I have this thing, and I, I, you know, first I have to do the fake. How are you? Like, how are the kids? <laughs> blah 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 blah. But I'm yeah, really like, yeah. I have a pimple on my ass, and it won't go away. Blah, blah, blah. Oh my god, that's and he must be really smart. 
He is. And I think that's the, like he, when he tries to share what he's studying or what he's quizzing on, I like, I got like maybe 30 seconds before yeah. I'm like, my brain shuts my, off. Your I'm head like, explodes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I ask two questions to every guest. Number one, uh, we're very pro mental health. Mm-hmm. What do you do for your mental health? So I started seeing a therapist about maybe two years ago. So I, That's I do. It? Oh my God. I figured you'd be in therapy forever. Yeah. No, no. I mean, on and off. I've Well, I did. When I moved to LA, people said you should become a vegan, should join a gym. Shut the fuck up. And you should see a therapist. Right. Um, So I started dating a vegan therapist. I figured two out of three. I got the assignment (laughs) wrong. We dated for almost three years. But because of that relationship, because I had mentally tiered him smarter than me, because he had a double PhD, when he said things, I was like, well, he's the relational expert, but they hit wrong. I was like, I need to go to therapy. And then come to find out, you know, this kid's bamboozling me, you know, trying to get me to believe shit that gaslighting me with the whole thing. Right. But I started then and then I was like in and out. So that's one thing. I think that's just Wait, like a good Wait, I have base. two questions about that. Number one, yeah. did you, were you a vegan for that time? I would, in, I would indulge him in vegan meals, but I was, I couldn't do it. No. Yeah, no. I he was also a sober <laughs> vegan. So that was really oh, not God. fun to go out Oh and, my God. Shoot me yeah. right now. So controlling. Really um, you can do. Yeah. Um, I am in a relationship with a therapist. They are the most annoying human beings. Nothing you say is benign. Everything has a hidden meaning. 400 questions. I don't even get the first sentence of my story out without 17 questions. You, like, it's so fucking annoying. Okay, so that's what I had to say about that. All right, so then, um, so wait, so how did you find this therapist? So I actually was like, it was pu- just right after the pandemic. So I used better help and then I just liked it because I could do yeah, it from I, wherever. Th- yeah, they're great. No it's no excuse because like if I am traveling, I can't use that as an excuse because I could just do right. it like this. Yeah. Right. And do you see your therapist face to face? On Zoom, yeah. That's awesome. They were a sponsor. I and I know a oh, lot of people them. that use them and they love That's them. Out from a podcast. Yeah. I used the promo code and I was like, well, I'll just give it. And I just really liked it because A, it's not someone I'm going to run into. B, it's literally like um, it's like any other doctor, or whatever. Like, if you right. make the decision to be honest, in honesty, I'm not saying the way you are with your best friend. I mean, honest, right. like the thoughts that, that that come to your mind before you hit the pillow. If right. you decide from jump that you're going to have that level honesty with this therapist, you're going to get a lot of shit done. Yeah, that's right. Um, Okay. All right. That was number one. And number two is, so I call the podcast, kill me now, even though I've been talking to Laura about changing the name, because originally the podcast was, I I get aggravated about everything. And every day I'm like, kill me now. I fucking can't. So I get really overly angry about minor things and major things. So, um, originally the podcast was just people, we were just talking about what made you angry, but now I, I love people's stories. So, um, what makes you so fucking angry? It can be any little thing that makes you fucking two, crazy angry. Two things that make me super crazy late and those who decide that it is okay to be on a speakerphone call. Oh! Oh! In oh! I really? 
I want to smash their heads. I Who are you? And why are you so important speaking full volume, oh projecting like Ethel Norman in a theater with no mic? Fuck. I why? Fucking, uh, I was at the airport. There, I was in the, you know, Delta Lounge, whatever. There's this older man and his wife, and uh, they are sitting across from me. The wife gets up to go get food, and the man is on a FaceTime with his grandkids, and it's going on and on and on. And I said, headphones! And he said... (laughs) That's what I say. I go headphones. And he says, I I don't have headphones. And I was like, annoying, like annoying. Like, I don't even know. And then. How about this? What about when people are in an elevator? They'll do it on an elevator. Oh, an elevator. And you're like, the subway. And they're like, I'm going to, I'm going to lose you. And they keep talking. I can't. You can't. I can't. I mean. I th- I felt so guilty when he got off the phone with his grandkids. Let me tell you something. If God forbid my the actual phone didn't work and the speaker was the only function, and God forbid I had to be in proximity with people and I'm 10, 20 feet away, I would still adjust my volume or be like, I'm so right. sorry, I just gotta really quick. I the fact that you're forcing me to, to listen. have to listen to your inane conversation has nothing to do with nothing. It's not like you're literally talking about chicken dinner. I mean, it's just so it's just rude. It's literally like I own this space. It's right. like people walking around with boombox, like right. blasting Completely music. Completely unaware like, that there are other people in this world. Wait, what that's about? The big thing. Yeah. Okay. On that same note, um, and boy, by the way, I have a, I have had a late problem in the past, and I've really worked it out in therapy, and I'm much better. So um, I just want you to know that, like, if I'm ever a few minutes late, it's because of my ADDDDHDDD, but I'm really working on it. Anyway, but here's the other thing I hate on the phone thing. You're walking down the street uh, or you're leaving the subway and the person is doing this and walking really slowly up the stairs or walking towards you, not even looking at your fucking face. I, and my kids get so mad because I go, hello, hello, you know, and they're like, why do you have to do that? Why can't you just move? I'm like, no, because you don't fucking own the sidewalk. <laughs> All right. I'm going to confess something here. I saw this happening and I was behind the person and I couldn't, we were at like, it was like a theme park or something. And they literally walked into like a little pond of water because they weren't paying attention. <laughs> They were walking so slow and and I couldn't get in front of them that when they made that decision, did I have time to intervene and say, oh, careful. I sure did. Did I do it? Absolutely not. I I love you. You have to learn. Yeah. Oh, I love you for that. I love you for that. But I was like, no, I'm not helping you. Like it was literally like this. I think the biggest thing is people who walk around and have no... um, compassion or understanding or self-awareness that there's other people around. You're not right. the most important thing. Right. right now. Yep. It's my fucking, yeah. oh, I love it. I love you. Jay, when yeah. can, are you in New York or you're in LA? You look like you're in LA. No, I'm back and forth because I'm, the boyfriend's in New York, so I'm bi now. 
Hey now. I would love to get together for a drink. You're fascinating. I love you. You're so talented too. Likewise. Likewise. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on the podcast. You're adorable. Thank you so much for listening to part two of my interview with the one and only Jay Rodriguez. What a fascinating story. What a great guy. What a just like his story's amazing. It's just and it's inspiring. So thank you, Jay, for being on the show. This uh, podcast is produced by Laura Vogel, edited by Colin Schmeling, marketed by and everything else by uh, the one and only Brittany, Brittany Joe Sowards Richmond. Um, yeah, so we're all working on the rebranding. We're very excited. Uh, so you have that to look forward to. And, you know, uh, uh, next week is a rant. And thank you for all telling me you love my rants. I love doing my rants. So if you want more rants, let me know. Because I might change the schedule. Uh, depending on your thoughts and feelings. What else? Uh, so, just so you know, I am scheduled to be... Uh, do you hear that snot in my... It's sort of awful. Uh, I, I do have some upcoming gigs during the week. In On February 8th, uh, I am going to be in Baltimore. Uh, I think at the Jewish Community Center, we had a gig at another comedy club, but they canceled it because they got threatened uh, a little. I'll talk about that next week by some local comics for doing a show that supported Israel. Uh, So they canceled um, because they didn't want any Mishigas. And uh, we are now most probably going to the Jewish Community Center in Baltimore. Uh, That is uh, February 8th. But before that, on the 31st of January, we are going to Toronto to do a show, uh, Stand Up for Israel. And I love Toronto, even though it's going to be fucking freezing, but uh, the show's going to be great. So look out for that if you're in the Toronto area. Uh, also, um, I love you. I love, thank you for listening. I am thrilled to not to be at home and not really you know going out and doing traveling and doing gigs for the next few weekends even though i will be driving to ben's games and um i think it's gonna be fun and i'm gonna i'm gonna take some videos and i'm gonna post and um please keep writing to me tell me what you love about the podcast uh any ideas you have i love i love 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 hearing your feedback you know, I'd love to take questions and do an episode of just, you know, answering your questions or reading your emails. So I'm open to anything. I want to make this the greatest podcast in the history of podcasts. And um, I'm still here because of you. So thank you. And let's pray for peace. And please, I want these hostages brought home. Bring the hostages home. Bring them home now. It's fucking ridiculous already. Uh, And, um, yeah, that's it. I love you. Thank you so much for listening. And as we always say, so long.